Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, the city of Modesto has a history rife with violent death and subsequent hauntings. True crime meets the paranormal in episode number 36 of Hometown Ghost Stories, Horror in Modesto, California. Modesto, California, 1937. Sarah stood on the platform of the train station with her seven-year-old son, Henry, as they waited for her husband, Henry Sr., to arrive home from his business trip to San Francisco. It was crowded, and she held her son's hand tightly due to his tendency to wander about. Suddenly, she felt her son tugging at her hand. She looked down at him. What, she said. He whispered something, but she couldn't hear him over the crowd, so she bent down. He whispered in her ear, I don't like the man. What man? she asked. He pointed to a general area and said, The man with the red face. A chill shot down Sarah's spine as she looked up, but didn't see any such man. Still, the look on her son's face was enough to leave her unsettled. She tightened her grip on his hand and told him not to worry. The train arrived and a crowd of people got off, making room for the crowd waiting to get on. Henry would likely be on the next train. They had arrived early so as not to miss him. The train pulled away from the platform, leaving it empty except for Sarah and Henry Jr. And a man sitting on a bench about ten yards down the platform, facing away from them. Henry began trembling. Sarah looked down at him. What now, she asked. He pointed behind her. The chills returned as she turned to look where the boy was pointing. The man sitting on the bench was turned around, staring directly at them with wide eyes, his face bright red. Startled, Sarah grabbed her son but froze in place. The man sat there expressionless except for the wide eyes. He kept staring right at her as if he was looking through her. She knew she should just ignore him. But there was something about the way he was looking at her that sent her intuition into high alert. Just then, the train rolled in and hissed steam from its stack. She had only looked away from the man for a second, but when she looked back, he was gone. Nowhere to be seen. I'm Dave Wilkins, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Modesto, California. Modesto, California, was founded as one of the San Joaquin Valley's railroad towns. It was founded as a village in October 1870, when the Central Pacific Railroad purchased approximately one square mile of land and began selling lots. Before the Central Pacific Railroad gave shape to the village, Americans had already settled in the area and began farming. Several villages sprang up to provide services to these people. Among them were cemeteries. The city was supposed to be named after William C. Ralston, 
who had financed many of the projects that were happening in California at the time. But Ralston decided the city wasn't significant enough to bear his name, and thus it was ironically named Modesto, meaning modest. Modesto, however, was not quite the clean, prosperous, and peaceful town depicted in the 1881 county history's pretty drawings and enthusiastic descriptions. The county had in fact achieved a notorious reputation by the late 1870s. The Herald reported in August 1879 that for years past, Modesto had been the rendezvous of gamblers, thieves, rollers, and gentlemen of that ilk, who seemed to entertain the opinion that they were secure from molestation by police officers and could ply their nefarious business without the fear of law. They said that when they could not remain anywhere else, they could come to Modesto and be safe from annoyance. Brothels and opium dens loomed up in the distance, and these places were frequented nightly by an unsavory crowd. Drunken men were rolled and robbed in the streets, ladies were insulted, young lads were enticed into their dens of iniquity, and numerous offenses committed. On one occasion, the law-abiding locals and legitimate business owners got fed up with the riffraff and decided to take matters into their own hands. The group of about 150 vigilantes met in an old warehouse on the outskirts of Modesto. They began their march down the street wearing black masks, armed with shotguns, torches, and revolvers. They stopped in front of Sullivan's dance hall. The leader of the group, referred to by the others as the captain, called out to the owner of the hall, who appeared in the doorway. He was ordered to shut down and leave the city. The owner yelled something back, but nobody heard it over the shots being fired into the night sky. Pandemonium broke out. Frightened, scantily clad women ran frantically from the building into the streets. The vigilantes then marched to the next dance hall and did the same thing to that owner. After that, they moved on to the saloons and grog shops, then over to the opium shacks, which they tied ropes to and raised them all to the ground. The next morning, a large group of displaced gamblers and drunks heading to the train station included a man named John Kelly. He was so drunk that he had to be carried by a couple friends. Kelly was known around town to recruit young girls into prostitution. Among the gang of vigilantes watching the drunks leave town was John Speakman, an old man from a local mining town who left his sickbed and walked all the way to Modesto. Speakman's 15-year-old daughter had gone missing and was spotted in a brothel. John Kelly had put her there. When Speakman spotted Kelly, he leapt from the crowd and stabbed him repeatedly in the stomach with a pocket knife. Kelly's two friends left the bleeding man on the train platform, and he died four days later. The locals didn't press charges against Speakman determining that Kelly got what he deserved. Violence and drug use in the city continued over the decades, and Modesto was still a very dangerous city to this day. In 2013, it made CNN's list of cities with the most active meth labs and currently has a violent crime rate more than double that of the national average. Typically, in areas where there are large amounts of violent death, there are subsequent hauntings, and Modesto is no exception. 1991 It was a warm September morning when a couple moved into their new house on Pleasant Street in Modesto, California. They hadn't inquired about the house's history because the thought hadn't occurred to them. All they knew was that this particular house was perfect for them and their little grandson who would visit frequently. One afternoon, when he was visiting, they noticed he was playing with his toys and seemingly interacting with someone who wasn't there. "'Who are you talking to?' his grandmother asked." The boy responded, telling her he was playing with his new friend, Debbie. The grandmother smiled and returned to her husband, who was sitting at the kitchen table, enjoying an iced tea. He's made an imaginary friend, she chuckled. 
Quite the imagination on that one, her husband replied. Time went on, and the grandson would continue his visits. Each time he visited, he would play with Debbie, his imaginary friend. The grandparents were completely unaware that the house of their dreams had been a house of nightmares for the previous owner. 1988 Mrs. Whitlock, who was born on April 16, 1955, who was born in Newmarket, Suffolk, England, moved to America with her family when she was little. There, she made a seemingly happy life for herself. She found love, and at age 32, she was a wife, a mother of a little three-year-old girl, and the assistant manager of a Sears in Modesto, California. However, all that changed on the night of March 24, 1988. That evening, her husband, Harold Whitlock, left their home on Pleasant Street, saying that he was going to a friend's bachelor party and wouldn't be home until morning. While he was away, she spent the evening alone in the house with her little daughter. After dinner, she put the girl to bed, read her a story, and after making sure she was fast asleep, retreated to her room to enjoy a glass of wine and some late-night talk shows. Eventually, she fell asleep with the TV on. But she woke suddenly, the room dark except for the light of the TV, and there at the foot of the bed stood the silhouette of a man holding a knife. She went to scream, but then remembered her daughter sleeping in the next room. Not wanting to wake the little girl, for fear of her cries drawing the attention of the intruder. Instead, she kicked off the covers, startling the man, who then grabbed her by the hair, dragging her into the hallway, where he began slashing at her with his knife. She fought back, but her main focus was on trying not to scream. The man slashed multiple times at her throat, nearly decapitating her. She died silently in the hallway mercifully unable to experience the unspeakable savagery that would occur after her death. Eventually, the killer fled. The toddler, who slept just a few feet away from the atrocities, remained unharmed. Harold returned the following morning as promised, and upon entering, heard their daughter CJ crying in her bedroom. Weird, he thought to himself, since his wife would typically have her up and about by this time. As he was about to call out her name, he rounded the corner to the hallway and saw the bloody scene. He stumbled back. After a moment of shock, he sprinted to CJ's room, scooped up the screaming toddler, who was thankfully unharmed, and ran out the back door, where he phoned the police. After reporting the crime, he called his wife's mother, Jackie, and delivered the devastating news. Someone had murdered Debbie. 1991 the living room floor was cluttered with toys as the couple watched their grandson build a tower out of blocks. He would delightfully construct a tower roughly a foot and a half high, then frustratedly watch it topple over due to his inadequate structural engineering. Their amusement was interrupted, however, by the bedroom door suddenly opening by itself. There was a long creaking noise as it slowly opened, followed by a heavy silence as the three of them looked on in curious confusion. The grandmother was about to say something when the rocking chair began slowly rocking back and forth. Her jaw dropped as the little boy turned to his grandparents and said, Debbie's in the chair. 1988 The police initially looked at Harold as their main suspect in the crime. He was away the night of the murder, but his alibi had some holes in it and had plenty of time to return to commit the crime. Both he and Debbie had been having affairs, and had even split up for a while due to Harold's drinking problem. 
He had cleaned up his act about a month prior, and the couple had just gotten back together not long before the murder. Detectives questioned if there had been an argument over him going out drinking for a bachelor party after getting clean to rekindle his relationship with Debbie. Harold vehemently denied having any part in the murder and was eventually released from the list of suspects due to a lack of evidence. He would eventually return to a life of alcoholism, which eventually led to his own death a short while later when he got drunk and drove his vehicle off a narrow road on the side of a mountain. Debbie's mother, Jackie McDonald, worked tirelessly for nine years to try and find her daughter's killer. She plastered posters of her daughter's face on every telephone pole, bus seat, and convenience store window across the city. She appeared on numerous TV shows and campaigned all across the state. She even started her own 30-minute TV show called Victim's Voice, which dealt with concerns of victims and their families. She was dedicated to finding out the truth about what happened that night. A few weeks after the rocking chair incident, the little boy and his grandmother headed out to the grocery store. They waited at the bus stop, and when it arrived, they climbed aboard and walked down the aisle to the only two seats available. Go ahead and sit down, she told him, but the boy just shook his head. The bus driver closed the door and looked at them in the mirror, annoyed. Go on, she urged. No, he replied. I don't want to sit on Debbie. She looked at the seat. And there on the seat back was a poster with a picture of a woman, probably in her 30s, that read, Debbie Whitlock, murdered. Anyone with info, reach out to Jackie McDonald and a phone number. The woman was shocked. Her grandson couldn't read, so how could he know her name was Debbie? She hadn't made the connection that Debbie was also the name of the boy's imaginary friend. Until later that day, when she told her husband, and he reminded her. This was very unsettling. And the following day, she called the phone number on the poster and talked to Jackie. Jackie informed her that she was, in fact, living in the house where her daughter was murdered all those years ago. The couple was shocked to learn this, but graciously invited Jackie and her TV show to come to the house. The day the camera crew arrived, the woman led Jackie to the room where the door would mysteriously open on its own, and Jackie confirmed this was Debbie's room. Debbie loves children, Jackie told the woman. It was just like her to befriend a little boy. Jackie's hard work and dedication kept the case from going cold, and thus, in 1996, a breakthrough came. Jackie, in partnership with Citizens Against Homicide, a local California organization, had rented a few billboards featuring her daughter's picture. A former drug dealer called the authorities and revealed that he had been acquainted with Debbie's murderer and forwarded them a name. He had seen the billboards, he said, and wanted to do the right thing. Apparently, he even declined the hefty cash award. His information sent the police to search for Scott Avery Fizell. Fizell had been 18 at the time of the murder and had been living in Modesto with his mother and stepfather. He admitted to the witness that while high on meth, he had killed a beautiful woman during a botched burglary and then violated her corpse. In early January of 1997, police tracked him down in Arkansas, in a small town near Little Rock, and detained him. After questioning him, they collected his DNA, which turned out to be a match to the evidence found at the crime scene, resulting in his arrest for murder. He eventually pled guilty and was sentenced to 31 years in prison. 
The little boy who befriended Debbie's ghost still visits her grave to this day, and although he wishes to remain anonymous, wants everyone to know that not all ghosts are scary or evil. Some are just lonely and confused, stuck between worlds, lost beyond the grave. Modesto, California, the horrors of Modesto. I'm Jesse Wilkins on Twitter at Jesse C. Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. What's up, Rob? Wasn't really sure what to expect with the way Dave was going to bring this episode, but that was very unsettling. Indeed it was, and we're also here with Dave Wilkins. What's up, Dave? What's going on? I'm here to unsettle. (laughs) And unsettling you you did. You did. It was uh, quite unsettling, but great story. I love the way you told the story. Thanks. Yeah. I like to um, change it up every now and then. I thought going back and forth from the uh, 1991 story to the 1988 story was uh, an interesting way to tell the story. I had actually heard this story from a book that I read called Coast to Coast Ghosts by Leslie Rule. And it's a really good book. I strongly recommend it. You should go check it out. And she covers basically a whole, um, she is uh, she is a crime scene or was like a crime scene investigator or a cop. And she would basically just go through all these crimes that she covered and how it, uh, how all of them were connected to hauntings. And she basically just goes over all of the, all over the country. And it's an amazing book. And this was one of the stories that grabbed my attention. And I was like, wow, I should look into Modesto, California and see what that's all about. And this, this city has a really interesting history. Like one of the most interesting cities that I've looked into as far as history goes. Um, there's also a bunch of different haunted locations. So covered a couple of them and here we are. Well, let's start off with um, there was uh, the toddler who was playing with blocks and building a tower, and you said that he had inadequate structural engineering. True. That was based on the toppling of the blocks, I feel like. Okay. All right. Not for just your pure loathing of (laughs) three-year-olds? No. (laughs) That was true. That was just – that was a a criticism of his – Just absolute dig at this kid. He just couldn't get it done. (laughs) Your poor children. (laughs) Uh, my children will not have an adequate structural engineering when playing with blocks. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want your kids to be good at playing with blocks, send them to school and get them a little degree in structural engineering. Doesn't have to be anything crazy. A bachelor's or an associate's degree should do it. That should yeah. take care of it. Yeah. If they don't have that by the time they're four, then what are we even doing? I know. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of every, them. Every regular three-year-old out there. Uh, I want to do, uh, anyways, uh, before we jump into it, I want to thank everyone who's hanging out in the live chat. A lot of people in on YouTube today and I, I'm not entirely sure if Cash is serious because he never is, but apparently uh, he had a an accident at a shooting range today and he's in the emergency room. So let's all hope that Cash is okay because we love him and we hope that everything is okay with him. Uh, that is very concerning. I sent him a message. He didn't reply. Hopefully he's still alive. So uh, with that being said, uh, <laughs> the way you support the show, if you like the show, is drop us a review on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. Give us a little five-star review. We'll read them out later on in the show. And uh, thanks to our patrons who uh, have been hanging out. We'll pull up the official list and read it off later. But with that being said, let's jump into uh, the hauntings of Modesto. There is a bunch of them. 
There's a there are. Of and before we jump too far into it, I just want to quick credit to the rest of the sources that I used. I mentioned the book already. I uh, also use cinemaholic.com, mysteryu.com, and johnrkelso.com for my sources this week. Nice. Very well done. So, Modesto, California, um, also called Methdesto. Big, big meth problem going on there. You actually uh, brought it up uh, that there's a lot of uh, meth labs. Very breaking yeah, bad kind of, uh, kind of city. Work. They're working on it. What they need is for all of the um, the law-abiding citizens and legitimate business owners to just gather up and just storm the town like they did back in the 1800s. I feel like that's the only way to do it. Was there a big meth lab problem in the 1800s? No, but there was an opium den problem. Oh, so I guess that's I not mean, that much different. Yeah. Kudos to uh, kudos to you for coming up with that story. The, the way that you told those stories is cool. I actually thought it was like an error when you started going back. When you went back to like 1991, I was like, oh god, he accidentally repeated part of the video. <laughs> it ended up being just fine. I was like, okay, never mind. Never mind. It's uh, Jessica says it's all the meth capital. So hey, they still got that uh, crowning achievement. Did you uh, find any more interviews with the the kid that's grown up that still visits the grave, or no, so- is he just really adamant about not being identified? It was hard to find a lot about a, a lot on this one, and I couldn't find like I couldn't find like a lot of details on the murder, and mm-hmm. I couldn't find a lot on the the family that moved into the house after, um, because I think that they never released their names and they mm-hmm. remained um, basically confidential. And the only way that we know that they exist was from this police detective who wrote the book, and she didn't release their names, so. Um, yeah, it was hard to find a lot other which than is, what was mentioned in the book. Which is fair. I mean, but still, like, th- that child, like, saying that he doesn't want to sit on her and her picture being there and he doesn't know how to read, like, that is tingling. And you actually have a story like that from your childhood. Yeah. Well, yeah, when I, I've, I've told it a, a couple times here, and uh, that's kind of what, what struck me about this story was the little kid with the imaginary friend. And this was, um, I'll tell it briefly, but I, I've, I have mentioned it on here a couple of times, but basically when I lived in Plymouth, when I was really young, I would think I was two years old. We lived next door to this woman who my mom befriended and I had a, an imaginary friend. My mom didn't think anything of it. I had named the imaginary friend Bernie and my mother was having tea with a neighbor and the neighbor was talking about one of the former owners there who had passed away. Her name was also Bernie. So my mother was like, oh, my God. So I don't remember the story, but she told me. And, um, yeah, that's what kind of caught my attention with this story was the little kid with the imaginary friend that turned out to be Debbie, who lived in the house before. So I think this is a lot of the reason why we, like, go back to the the children, like, and how they are just more susceptible to seeing things and interacting with the uh, spirits as a whole. You know what I mean? Yeah, the um, the book that I was talking about actually has a whole chapter on that, and it's really interesting because there's the theory is that there's this veil, and when the child's born, they can remember, um, you know, they allegedly they can remember past lives, or they can remember being in, I guess, the afterlife for lack of a better term, before, but um, mm-hmm. and that they can see spirits that adults wouldn't be able to see until they get older. And there's a lot of interesting evidence that supports that. Um, I was actually talking to my daughter who is five, Juliet, and she 
randomly was like one day she's like dad what does hell look like i was like i don't know i can let you know but uh, <laughs> i uh, i i don't know what to tell you i was like um modesto california <laughs> <laughs> now they will like, just they will just report directly back from the source of yeah exactly <laughs> Um, I was so I was like I don't know probably fire and heaven's probably got clouds. When Dave, when Dave gets to hell, they're gonna be like, well, well the reason that you're here is because uh, you said a three year old had inadequate structural <laughs> engineering, and other than that, you were good. We, you were on the fence before that, but that really pushed you over. <laughs> he did have inadequate structural engineering, in my defense. But um, so I was like, oh yeah, it's probably got fire, and I guess uh, heaven's probably got clouds. She looks at me and she goes, heaven doesn't have clouds. I'm like, dude. Do, doesn't it, I would do you know how do you know she goes I remember I'm like what do you mean you remember she's like oh f- before I was born I was like she's five like what that's crazy like what are you talking about I mean she could just be like saying things you know off the top of her head but I mean it sounded oddly sp- oh and she goes like and the sky is not blue either the sky is green so I'm like it could just be random stuff and it could be it, it's just oddly specific I don't know huh that is that is oddly specific, but it caught me yeah. off guard. I was like, "Oh, yeah, like, no, heaven doesn't have clouds." Like, yeah. All right, my bad. <laughs> <You're everything> bad. <laughs> as long as she told you what was up, that's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Her favorite thing to do is correct me. <laughs> Fair. I mean, that's what we do on the podcast consistently. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So maybe she just watches the show and she's just like, this is what they do to my father and I need to <laughs> make sure that there is somebody else here to correct him at all times of the day. That's right. Keep it consistent. Yes. So let's hop into a couple other haunted places in Modesto that weren't covered. Uh, one was brought up in chat about a haunted costume shop. And the reason that it's haunted, they believe, is because it used to be a funeral home. So this place is called Daydreams and Nightmares. And it is... Um, considered to be haunted uh former funeral home the current owners of the costume shop bought the place they were even told the property contains human remains on the site in the form of ashes from you know people who have been cremated on the property which i guess makes sense since it was a funeral home fair um i want to know if that so, was also the name when it was a funeral home <laughs> <laughs> daydreams and nightmares yeah <laughs> Why'd they go out of business? <laughs> and how did it get haunted? Yeah, that's, that's definitely it. But I guess it's, it's most of, mostly the dolls inside the, uh, the shop that they consider haunted. Um, that's the owner weird. of the store, Dana, she started to experience unexplained, uh, unexplained phenomenon. Phenomena. What's the plural for phenomenon? Phenomenons? Phenomena. Phenomena. Phenomenoxen. Um, yeah, she had captured a full-bodied operation, uh, operation of guests. Woman in a white dress. Yep, uh, uh, and it was standing in her store. Actually, it was just a woman in a dress. Never mind; it might not have been a white dress. Well, standing I mean, in her store, they only had like dress. two colors of dresses before 1945 to begin with. So, like, that's yeah, why we see all wedding these. funeral. Yeah, it's you had two. Well, it's not even just the wedding, but every every nightgown was like a white dress. Yeah, so like right, that's, so Rob, that's, that's 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 wildly ridiculous statement. All they wore back then were dresses. There was like all every color you could imagine. They didn't have colors. They didn't. Have you watched a movie from before 1945? <laughs> Good point. Nice Good recovery. Point. <laughs> Irish Assassin, thank you for the four month sub. Says number one paranormal podcast. And again, he is uh, hosting our podcast on his uh, Twitch stream. So if you haven't checked out X, uh, Irish Assassin X on Twitch, go check him out. Love it. We appreciate, we appreciate support, you. Man. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Grab uh, Stephanie's comment there. So- good point referencing uh so she says stephanie says children aren't yet as skeptical and are more open to seeing what we as adults don't want to and i think that's a really good point 
because as adults, we are um, basically harnessed by our skepticism and we're afraid some, you know, as adults, we're afraid what other people are going to think about us. So if we see something that might be a ghost, we might not say anything about it. Most people are like, oh, that's my imagination because mm-hmm. everyone's going to think I'm an idiot or everyone's going to think I'm nuts. And we might keep that in. Whereas a child is going to be like, yep, ghost. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And as an adult, you're also consistent, consistently rationalizing things. Right. Which is kind of what you just said as well. Like today, more haunted things at my house. I'm sitting here wife leaves. I'm just sitting here watching a blank TV because I'm trying to figure out why episode eight of better call Saul isn't working for me. And it turns out that it doesn't air until July 11th. So that starts to make things make sense, <laughs> but I'm sitting here by myself with no sound in the house. TV's off. I'm just sitting here trying to figure out um, the stream and it's not working. And uh, I hear just above me. It, it was weird. It was like, just, it wasn't like footsteps, but it was like, and like a sound I've never heard in the house before. It sounded like someone took like a, one of the, like a, I don't know, a piece of wood and just like pulled it back and just slapped it against my house. So it like rattled. I was like, what the fuck is that? And the dog jumped up and everything. And then it happened again, like 20 seconds later. And, um, I just went back to my day, you know, I was like, Oh, well, there's another sound and just rational. You know, it's like probably just, I don't know the house doing weird things, but there's even go to see like what the ghost was making the noise with. I couldn't no, really tell. You didn't go see what's going on. <laughs> Don't you remember really... Bridgewater? We stayed on the first floor when we heard anything. We would just be like, "I guess he's doing things again." We're not going up there right now. Just, this... just brushed it off and said, "Ah, there's the ghost again." But in reality, he was just too scared. I also couldn't really tell where the sound was coming from. So it sounded like it was above, but it sounded kind of like it was on the outside of the house. So the extent of my investigating was I went and stood at my front door and looked out the window with my coffee in my hand and then gave it five seconds, went back to <laughs> went back to my day. Looked at it for 14 seconds. Okay, huh. Not haunted. Stephanie says your house might have been structurally inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> Built by three-year-olds. I knew it. <laughs> That's why he got such a good deal. <laughs> Great callback. <clears throat> Dr. Shaver says that is a valid point. We are blinded by our rationality and own skepticism. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, well, your, your upstairs is terrifying, by the way. I, I don't know if people will remember this from the Hex Hollow episode, but we filmed a lot of that in like your little, I don't know, attic room. That's mm-hmm. And like, if you're just up there by yourself, that room is haunting. It is it's- Extra haunting because that's where I store all of my Halloween decorations. And because we can't just store Halloween decorations in boxes, my kids just set them all up. So we had an an electrician come by to get rid of like the knob and tube wiring that was still in our house. So they would insulate our house. And he goes upstairs. (laughs) He's just looking around. He just walks in the room and goes, oh. I was like, yeah, this is where we do our seances. I don't know if you're following that. Try to leave that stuff alone. Um, Yeah. So we have like a half finished room in the the attic the rest of my the other half of the attic kind of looks like the attic but it's perfect for filming things like that because it kind of looks like a house from the early 1900s which as we all know is prime haunting years it's the early 1900s or late 1800s right did i tell you that this house that i'm in used to be a funeral home you haven't told me but i don't know if you told me on the show so the house i live in now it used to be a funeral home and renovating it a few years back, um, we knocked down a wall, much like Jesse, and there was like this little hidden room. And we're like, what the hell is this? And we knocked the wall down, and we found a letter from like 1916 hidden in the wall. 
And I don't know who I was talking to. I forget. It actually might have been Fox Crown. Um, so if he said this, then kudos to him for bringing this up. But, you know, when houses around that time during Prohibition would build these little hidden rooms so that they could store their alcohol. And I'm like, God, I never, I forgot all about that. And that's why a lot of these houses that we've been in probably have these hidden rooms that um, we find like a hundred years later now. Yeah, they, I found they used to build houses so, far so much cooler than they do now. I can't tell you how many houses that I've worked on in the past that just have, like you found like these weird little passage. And the older the house, the more of this you see. There was mm-hmm. like like the 1920s where, uh, or what, yeah, like the Prohibition era was like big with um, like secret areas to hide things. But mm-hmm. if you go back further, there was like secret passages inside walls and like inside like little doors inside closets that leads to another room and stuff like that for when you pull whatever. down the you pull one book out of the shelf and the the whole yeah, bookshelf yeah, 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 around. Thing, yeah. Yeah. put the candle back <laughs> but um so go back i just want to go back to jessica's comment real quick she said that uh that the sound that i heard at the house almost sounds like a little doorstop spring thing which mm. is exactly what it sounded like the only issue is i don't have any of those in my house and if i did who the hell was hitting that? Cause I was the only one home and the dog was sitting next to me. So, um, at least you had Cersei there to protect you. Yes. My tiny little useless Boston Terrier. No, Cersei's the best. Take it back. Oh, she's the best. She's definitely useless. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to like the secret hidden rooms, the house in Bridgewater, cause I'm, I, I'm obligated contractually to talk about it every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys remember the main staircase that, that the dogs would bark up. Yep. I don't remember if I ever told you guys this, that was a hidden staircase in the beginning. So that staircase was blocked off and it was like a hidden doorway. Um, when the house was originally constructed to go up it and the bathroom downstairs was actually the original staircase upstairs. And there was only the bathroom upstairs. <laughs> Andrew says my dog is structurally inadequate. I resent that. Andrew. <laughs> my dog is structured just the way it's supposed to be. Uh, Fox crown calls you out, says that wasn't the conversation because he's never talked to you. That's true. Yes. Right. Uh, I do want to touch on this comment from Stephanie uh, animals as well. It's creepy as hell when you're home alone and your dog runs in the room, stops and just starts watching a blank wall. Um, yes. So that's happened with a few of my dogs. <clears throat> Definitely happened with Max a lot because Max is blind. So poor Max is just always staring at nothing, oh, but no. that, that is definitely something that happens with um, with animals. We talked that, and we talked about that in the uh, podcast with Jericho as well. And um, he had mentioned how his dogs kind of go nuts at certain things. But I do believe that animals and children see things that we can't see. And uh, especially when they start animals. like tracking something, you ever been with your dog and they just start doing the head? They're just following something, and you're just like, "What the hell are you tracking right now?" And you're like, "Is it a bug? What is it?" And you see nothing. That's pretty. Mm-hmm. That's always pretty terrifying as well. That does happen as well. So there was the the other uh, place in Modesto, just to get back to uh, Modesto and off the topics of my structurally inadequate dog. Uh, there was that mansion as well. David, what was that mansion called? It was the McHenry Mansion. And I looked yeah. into this because this was like the main like haunted location that if you look into Modesto, this is what pops up. So I'm looking into the history of it, and there's a ton of history there. It's a really cool-looking house. It's very interesting. The history is all very interesting. And there's just no mention of a ghost. So I'm like, well, cool, but what am I supposed to do with this? And why do you just assume it's haunted? So I didn't really, I just went a different angle with the uh, episode. So I left it out, but that was kind of disappointing. Cause it was one of the things when I'm looking at Modesto, I'm like, Oh cool. There's a haunted mansion. So I'll, I'll cover that. And I thought I was gonna have a whole list of things and, you know, narrowed it down to the, I mean, granted these two hauntings that I did cover were really cool. 
Yeah, you're right. Everything that I see is that it's a it was creepy because it was abandoned for a long time. Um, there's legends about hauntings, hauntings and strange occurrences on the site, but I don't see any of those specified. So, yeah, I, I assume that I guess I see why you didn't cover it. Right, there wasn't much for me to cover it, but um, you know, I saw so this and the Acacia National Cemetery are the two haunted locations that were both really cool that I planned on talking about. Um, the Acacia National Cemetery is um, it is reported to be haunted. And if I can find the thing here, Ricardo's asking, did Dave move that skull there since that episode of Captain McSlugs was on his on showing his skull? He moved it there. So Dave didn't move it there. Um, basically, he changed camera angles, and now you see his skull. That's right. That's right. I just upgraded the camera a little bit, so it's a little bit more of a wide angle. So now you get to see my skull and a little bit more of my uh, right shoulder. Left yes. Shoulder. That's the good um, one. So uh, among Modesto's most haunted locations is Acacia Memorial Cemetery. It's not unusual to hear crying or wailing at a cemetery, but at Acacia Memorial Park, cries and moans are often heard when no one else is around. Locals often use the cemetery's paved road as a shortcut, and some driving through have heard the cries inside their vehicles, which is very creepy. Interesting. It's creepy to hear the cries and then to hear them inside the vehicle after. There's also a haunted ambulance call center. Um. It used to be there used to be a house there, which was supposed to be haunted before it turned into an ambulance call center. Uh, you can still make out where the house was located on Google Maps, but it's overgrown with weeds now and harder to make out the outline of the house. But the activity, um, but the active area is. Uh, I'm going to read this and then I'll get back to you with with a good report on it. Okay, so was there any like specific ghosts that are in that cemetery that you looked up or is it just more like no it's more of those yeah those generally vague ghosts that Mm -hmm. um or ghost stories basically a lot of like audible ghosts like they hear the wailing they hear the crying could be the ghost of la llorona you know it's maybe not south you know this this isn't southern california but you know that ghost is uh spotted all you know west southwest in that area so you hear a woman Crying or wailing, sometimes that could be the ghost of La Llorona. Call back to an episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, but yeah, mostly just just um, crying and wailing. Luckily, I didn't read this entire thing because there's absolutely no solid stories coming out of this one. Just one person that said that they've used equipment there and got some readings. And then other people that called them out because the readings would be faulty because of uh, electricity issues on the uh, property, which is why it got shut down in the first place. So there's that. Um, then we also have the Red Lion Inn. That's in a Modesto, supposed to be haunted. Um, rooms 126, 206, and 420. Those are the haunted ones. (laughs) No reason why, but that, uh, and they also say the kitchen is haunted. So, again, this this is why this is why we leave these locations for this part of the show. Because if you try that in the uh, in the actual episode, you're not going to tell a very good story. Exactly. So, there's a lot of these, and this is what we get a lot with these locations when we look into them, is you see a lot of haunted locations, and they probably are haunted, and there's probably some great stories, but usually the stories are just limited to like the um, the Kelly Brothers Brewery there, also haunted. You know, you hear footsteps, there's knocking, there's allegedly a few ghosts there, um, which is cool, but you know, there's not much I can mm. do with that other than talk about it. Well, this, the sad part is a lot of it's probably lost to history, too, right? Like, we don't know all of the stories that happened there. They weren't written down or passed down word of mouth. And 
might have just happened to one person and no one knows the, the actual story you know what i mean so exactly and this kind of feeds back into when an adult sees a ghost they don't really want to talk about it and if they don't want to talk about it they definitely don't want to write it down and record it and be on the record talking about it for the most for the most part we like to talk about it right. so yep. we are the exception to the rule so in a more uh, deliciously haunted place fuddruckers in uh modesto is supposed to be haunted it was formerly a blockbuster so obviously uh it was killed by netflix you're welcome for that one. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, though, a uh, uh, as a former blockbuster store manager, <laughs> how dare you? Apparently, a kid, a kid died on the property in the 1980s when there was a skate park, I guess, out back, and he fell and broke his neck. Uh, but there is supposed to be uh, toy, like battery operated toys that would turn on, uh, lights will turn on and off, doors will open and close. Um, and ghosts have been known to chime in actually over the sound system when it was a blockbuster. And they would say things like, shh, listen, and you've been bad. So that's kind of a cool story. Haunted Fuddruckers. That is pretty cool. Stop by for a delicious burger and a paranormal experience. Me and Dave saw a man get turned into a ghost in front of a Fuddruckers, which was fun. Oh, man. We were walking down a hallway in Foxwoods and when you take a left Foxwoods is a casino in um, Connecticut for those that don't know and me and Dave were going to take a left where Fuddruckers is and as soon as we turned the corner we saw a guy get hit so hard his soul left his body and just disappeared into the ether and um, he was out cold <laughs> he wasn't really dead but yeah he was no, uh, it was it made me say, oh, shit, he might be dead for a quick yeah. second. <laughs> <laughs> we were lit, like, it's, it was like perfect movie timing because it happened as we came around the corner. It wasn't like we saw the altercation or anything. We turned the corner and he was getting hit and lifting into the <laughs> air. And uh, that's, that's what happened in that situation. And me and Dave were like, all right, well, I guess we still got to go get these chicken tenders because... It's uh, late, and we've had an alcoholic drink or two. Mm. One or two, as we've been known to have an uh, appropriate casino. Yes. Any other uh, locations in Modesto that you want to touch on? There's a few in, like, the surrounding towns as well. Um, But I guess we'll save those for other episodes. Yeah, I would have thought that there would have been, like, more historical stuff just based on the some of the stories you brought up from its modest beginnings. Yeah, I know, right? This uh, anything but modest. Uh, there was. There's a lot of history. There's actually more. So the um, the story that I pulled from the beginning about the vigilantes, mm-hmm. there was um, a whole lot of situations like that. And if you can actually read the article about it on uh, johnrkelso.com. It's a really interesting, really well-written article. And um, they they actually did this more than once, the vigilante group. They kept getting together, and they, they kept having to do it again and again. And every story is different. Every story is I wish I could have told them off, but we would have been talking for an hour. So I picked what I thought was the best one and uh, rolled with that one. That's where you got the ghost of the red-faced guy who was uh, who was a drunk ghost. Great, great opening story, by the way. Thank you. The red face. Uh, the red face will do that. Andrew wants to know why Arthur Morgan, be- Arthur Morgan beat up that poor bartender. Because he's a roller and a gambler. And that's mm-hmm. how they behaved back then. For audio so. listeners, Dave chose this opportunity to uh, select... Certain scenes from uh, Red Dead Redemption. 
cowboy game to use it in the cowboy footage and uh mm-hmm. probably got yourself a nice little bounty going around town beating people up and then stabbing oh, man, that I'm poor guy like... 600 times with a knife <laughs> so he had a plan <laughs> <laughs> yes uh i what i what i liked about this ghost story that you had and especially that you closed out the episode and this is a little bit different than other ghost stories that we've had i'm sure we've had one or two that were more friendly ghosts but first of all you had the uh you know, the crime getting solved, which was cool because it was looking kind of hopeless. I didn't think that they would end up solving it. and um, Or it gets solved right after the parents die, which is just so sad when you see them like trying to track down the killer for their entire lives. And then they die and they're like, oh, we figured it out like two days later. That is This awful. wasn't one of those cases. So no, um, you, got you got that still shot of uh, Jackie McDonald, the mother in the courtroom grilling. The, that was a pretty chilling photograph. For you yeah, audio that- listeners, you're really missing out if you're not coming and checking us out on, on YouTube. Because there's yeah, a little can, video portion. Yeah, you can watch Dave miss all of his shots on Red Dead Redemption. I couldn't um, aim. I would have got the crossfire <laughs> thing in the middle of it. <laughs> um, I had mentioned in the private chat, but the uh, mug shot. Well, not really the mug shot, but there was, there was a picture of uh, the murderer. And he had this like long hair like draped over his face. He looked like a killer out of a, a, a movie. Like it, As soon as I saw that mug shot, I messaged you. I was like, yeah, he's guilty. Yeah. And uh, he was. Like, Holy shit. That man, man. No, well, he, yeah. he was up for parole last year, and it was denied. So that, that's good. What that a way to be, um, to be captured, too. Like, there was no leads on that at all. Like, he probably could have got away. And it just shows you, like, this is a whole side thing that we won't go down too far. But a lot of these killers can't shut the fuck up. They just mm-hmm. can't shut up. They have to tell somebody, and it's how they get caught time and time again. They go in this jail cell, and they're like, "Yeah, well, guess who I killed? Everybody." And yeah. then they get, and then they get, <laughs> then they get caught because they just couldn't shut their mouth. Because the dude's like, "Hey, look, I stole a car, but I can like testify against this dude that's a murderer." And if you just want to like let me go for a bit. <laughs> I have a theory, and this is because this is this was a weird way that they got him. Because allegedly, another drug dealer saw the billboard and felt guilty and called and reported the guy who would have got away if he didn't open his mouth, like you said. Maybe that the anonymous tip was actually the killer, and he felt bad and wanted to come clean with it. Maybe he wanted a clean conscience. Because I just it seems weird that another drug dealer would call and and I would out after all those years. I would lean more heavily into a drug deal gone bad. This guy screwed him over, but the guy that, you know, so, so basically like drug dealer probably gave this guy some drugs to sell or whatever. And he screwed him over. And he's like, well, I know that you murdered that chick. So he just called it in. Cause maybe probably, but he was, he was already, but it all, it all starts with him not shutting the fuck up. Right. 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 Have you, so just to go off of something you talked about, and this is like a whole nother thing, but have you ever heard of the serial killer? I think he was in Minnesota. Um, It's been a while since I listened to the case, but this guy, he would murder, he would murder a woman and then he would call the cops crying, confessing to what he did. And they, and then he would repeat the cycle. Like, he would call the cop. He would kill a girl, call the cops, start weeping. Like, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did this. I'm such a terrible person, blah, 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 blah. Hang up the phone and then would go on to kill again and then just repeat the cycle. He did it like two or three times. I wonder if that's so psychotic. I, mean, I, want, 
if that's yeah or if that's just his his way of taunting the police because you get a lot of serial killers that did that and then a lot of serial killers and stephanie just mentioned it as well a lot of them don't get caught because they do keep their mouths shut that's true a lot of them went on these sprees for years and years and years and they've even been brought in by the police because they were you know they were on the list and they would get brought in and they would just keep their mouth shut during the interrogation process and they're like all right we got nothing we gotta let him go and uh See, I, I do think I think he was doing it on purpose because I think there is a subsection of serial killers, and this is getting into a whole rabbit hole, but um, that want to get caught because they know what they're doing is wrong, and they just cannot stop doing it, and mm-hmm. they they just they can't turn themselves in because they know like they can't, but subconsciously they're leaving breadcrumbs to be caught because they know they need to get themselves out of society. Yeah, Jessica mentions, I uh, just had this comment up, but she, she said, uh, some people just blab about their murders. I heard so many stories from the inmates at the prison I used to work at. You're right. I mean, this is the biggest thing that they've done, or if it's in prison, and you could attest to this more than I could, not because you've been to prison, but uh, Jessica, is that this is maybe a way to scare other inmates into leaving them alone, is them bragging about people that they've killed, right? That sounds like it makes sense to me. To an extent. I mean... I think it's all about a product of your environment, right? Like if we're sitting around and we're talking trash and like comparing our fantasy football teams or whatever, like, yeah, well, I got this team, you got this team. And they're just sitting there like comparing murders, like, oh, well, you killed two people. I killed three. And this is how I did it. And someone's like, dude, I killed four people and I did it this way. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're trying to, um, I, I won't One say up. the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. They're trying, to, they're trying to one up the other person, but the other thing is too, if you're the if you're the the biggest, baddest, got the you know the biggest body count, then you're a target, you know, because everybody wants to prove themselves in there too. It's true, Talk but it's, it's got to be a delicate line you're walking while you're in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're all just imagining. This is three guys who never really been to jail, right? Well, me and Dave did one night. <laughs> one overnight never forget it july 4th got arrested for drinking in public mm. and then uh, we got some stories to tell but hey we survived and, I, uh, i'm the one that almost ever. got arrested in a batman onesie so luckily you instead got arrested in your underwear so a story <laughs> for another night for sure so anything else on modesto california gentlemen no i think that about covers it cool so this friday yeah. we get um Curse Possessions? Yeah, Curse Possessions. possessions. The Bassano Vase. Bassano Vase. So for anyone that's uh, a patron, uh, you'll get that content tomorrow. And then everyone else, you'll get it on Friday. And then what do we got coming up next week, Rob? We are going to go to Block Island, Rhode Island, which I'm going to be 100% honest here. I had the week off last week, and I was like, and I just, I have to be working at all times doing something. So I was like, how can I tie work into going somewhere that I want to go to, to escape for a while? I was like, let me see if I can find some ghost stories on Block Island. Cause Block Island is a beautiful place and uh, way more ghost stories than I anticipated. So it actually might have to be a two-parter and we'll get into it next week. But I am uh, shocked at the amount of stories that Island has. Awesome. So that's one that we've been to. No uh, quick little investigations done there or anything, Rob? Just to no, I had to. I had to just um, collect footage and 
talk to. I actually, we'll get into it next week, but I didn't stay the night. So it was all just um, going around finding the stories, but the people were very nice. And I was wearing my hometown ghost story shirt and everybody wanted to come up and tell me their ghost story, which was kind of cool. That is awesome. Very good. I do. I want to just amend one comment Jesse made a, a few minutes ago about him and I getting arrested for being drunk in public. We were underage. This is a very long time ago. That's why we got arrested. We oh, weren't yeah. like, it wasn't like, drunk, like, just like yeah, mid thirties, Dave and Jesse just being idiots. Did I say drunk in public? Because it was just for drinking in public. We had just started that. It was like 4 PM. We just got started and boom, cops rolling and we're gone. <laughs> Anyways, just want to say that up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have a drinking problem, but we keep it inside the house. That's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Um, quick shout out to our patrons. Brandon W., Sarah W., Soph M., Hooper, Jake V., Stephanie A., Seth, Dave, Sucks, W., Captain McSlug, Sarah R. We appreciate all of you for being on Patreon. If you haven't and you're considering thinking of ways that you can help support the show, swing on over. You get some cool stuff. Get some and- videos early. Get some swag. You could have gotten one of these cool T-shirts, but we sold out. Mm-hmm. We still have a couple mm. large. We have a couple large left. So a couple of large boys. We have um, for a couple of large patrons if you want to join. And the other way you can support us, which is the free way, is by giving us a five star review on any platform we're on. Specifically, Apple really helps a lot. And this week we have a five star review from Richard, and his title is hauntingly addicting. Picked you guys up on Jericho's podcast. No lie. I'm not a fan of horror-themed anything, be it movie, shows, ETC. But since I heard the Sally House story on Jericho, I've legit been binge-listening to everything you guys have. I can't stop. The format is awesome, and every episode is hauntily addicting. Cool. I actually want to read a tweet, if that's okay. It says, uh, this is from, actually, it might be the same Jake. So I'm going to read it anyways. It says, bras, brah. His name, the first guy I read was Richard. So, oh, okay. I thought you said it was Jake. Okay. So he said, I just listened to y'all's show on the Sally House. You guys have to hear my stories from Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, and some personal stories. Uh, y'all have to hear from a two apartment duplex. Me and others have uh, then mysterious stuff burns down just a couple of years ago. Insane stuff. Cool tweet. Appreciate you listening. And if you haven't yet, go back. Um, I don't remember what the episode number was, but we did cover cover Waverly Hills Sanatorium and welcome and uh, welcome again to anyone that came over from the uh, Jericho crowd. We obviously appreciate you guys for joining us. Definitely. And checking out the show. Anyways, that's uh, that's gonna do it for this week, right? There's at least one other review that we have to read. We promised to read them all. We would promise to read all the five stars. Yes. Okay. That's what we promised. Yes. 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 We don't want to start any fights. So (laughs) without further ado, uh, we will catch you guys on Friday for some side content. We have a few big announcements coming soon, but we will wait until they are finalized and we will keep you guys posted on that. But the show is going places. So for everyone who hung out uh, and um, saw the live stream, we do thank you if you're interested in leaving comments and being part of the show. Swing in every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the live stream, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. We'll catch you guys uh, next week for another episode of Hometown Ghost Stories. Peace. Later.